The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today it is a real honor to welcome a farmer. Her name is Anita Popel, and she and her husband Brian farm in Wyoming, Illinois. I met Anita at a session at the largest organic farming conference in the United States. It's called MOSES, or the Midwest Organic Sustainable Education Service Conference. It's held at the end of February every year in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And there was a special session on pesticide drift, and I was very interested in that. And so after Anita spoke, I knew I wanted to have her on the show. So Anita, welcome. Thank you, Melinda. Well, it's such a pleasure to know you. You have a degree in agricultural economics, You and your husband left desk jobs to move back to your hometown of Wyoming, Illinois, to farm. And you produce food in the exact manner in which I recommend to consumers. So I recommend that consumers not feed their families food grown with chemicals. I recommend that people feed their families meat and dairy products from animals that have not been fed GMO grains. And so you have a vegetable CSA share, you have an egg CSA share, and a meat CSA share. And I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about why you chose to farm not using any chemical inputs or GMO feed. Well, it's it's very simple. We know that the use of pesticides can be detrimental to our health. You know, there was a, a day when I actually... A very long time ago, this is how conditioned people are. I actually bought a bottle of Roundup. This is well before I was selling for to anyone. And I brought it home. I read the back of the label, and it said it will kill this and this and this, reptiles, amphibians, fish. And I said, I don't want this. And I returned it. And I didn't know that there was you know, a term for the type of growing that I was going to do, but, you know, it was chemical-free growing. I feel very strongly that the pesticides are dangerous to our health, and I don't want to eat them, and I certainly don't want to feed them to my kids. Right. And you have three beautiful daughters who you had with you at the conference, and I was really touched by the fact that your daughters were able to see a real role model in you in standing up for protecting public health through farming methods. And it's something that I feel very strongly about as a dietitian in protecting public health, that the way in which we produce our food is so critical to all of these ripple effects from child health to elder health, mental illness, declines in neurological functioning, as well as the loss of these beneficial soil microbes, and on and on. So, I should thank you for farming this way. You're protecting our future. Well, tell me how you got started with this organization that you formed called Pesticide Drift in Illinois. It's actually called Spray Drift Education Network. This is an organization that was formed a few years ago 
when the Illinois Organic Growers Association was just in its infancy, it was actually one of the first meetings in Springfield at the Illinois Specialty Growers Conference, where it was a discussion of whether there should be an organization for Illinois organic growers. And I attended that meeting because at that point, I was looking for support to help in our problem with pesticide drift. And I traveled to Springfield, and I gave a talk, very emotionally charged talk, that said that we are tired of this, we need help, and I can't be the only one out there who's experiencing this problem. And following that, I got a call from Jane Heim, another grower here in Illinois, a chemical-free grower, and we sat down at our kitchen table, and Jane had the name already picked out, and we said, we're going to do this. Our goal of Spray Drift Education Network is to help people realize that there is something that you can do if you feel you're being threatened by pesticide drift. Drift is often one of those things that people feel they have to accept because they live in or around or work in farm country, and that's simply not true. So our goal is to let people know that there is a tool for them to use. It's through the Illinois Department of Agriculture and that they should stand up for themselves. Mm -hmm. What kind of spray drifts did you experience? How did you know you had been drifted upon? Well, we went through an education process. Um, When we moved here, we moved back to this area 11 years ago, right on the same road where I grew up. I think it's important to point out that, you know, my folks were farmers. I was not raised in an urban environment and then came into farm country to start trouble. That was not our intention, and that's not my history. We moved back here to farm, wanted to be peaceful, wanted to work with the farmers, but at some point we felt that we were not getting the cooperation. Um, We were being told that the chemical would not move, that they were taking preventative measures to make sure that it didn't move. We were told that even if you smell it, that there's no drift, and it just did not feel right to us. So we were kind of backed into a corner, and one incident where we smelled the chemical strong on our homestead here, where the house is and the kids' toys and things, we decided to go ahead and file a complaint, and it did result in a violation against that applicator. So what kind of compensation did you get? Did you have any crop damage Like, what kinds of complaints are allowable through the Department of Agriculture? Anytime you suspect drift, you can file a complaint with, in Illinois, it's the Illinois Department of Agriculture. In other states, it's most likely the Department of Agriculture. There is going to be some agency that's going to regulate pesticide drift. In Illinois, it's the Illinois Department of Ag and That is the tool that we've been provided to, you know, if you suspect drift, that is what we've been provided to file a complaint, and it is the role of that agency to come out, inspect, and find out if there was drift or not. Uh, We really encourage people to utilize that tool, whatever agency it is in your state. um, You need to take advantage of that because that's what they're there for. Right. 
Now, have you lost crops, and have you been able to receive compensation for any drift damage to your crops? So, okay, and that's two separate things. First of all, the Department of Ag, where you file your complaint, does not provide any compensation. Typically in Illinois, if you get a violation against an applicator, they receive a warning letter. But the department is not responsible for any type of compensation. We did not realize in that first violation that we could seek compensation until we were told at one point that we could file an insurance claim. So the same field, very similar wind conditions, and I will also say that there is a 120-foot buffer around our farm. Light wind conditions, we had another drift incident. We got the violation. This time, we had the violation in hand. We had the proof. We contacted the applicators, the company's insurance agency, and we did receive compensation for damage to apple trees. So that's an important thing for people to know. They not only have a tool to file the complaint against and possibly get the violation, you can also seek, you know, an insurance claim for anything that you have lost. So who is the insurance holder? Do you as the farmer have to have an insurance policy, or is this an insurance policy that the applicator has? This is an, so this was an applicator that works for a company, a local farm service company who provides fertilizers and pesticides, and it was their insurance. Of course, they have to carry insurance for the type of business that they have. I simply called them and asked them, who's your insurance company? And um, I got a little pushback, but they told me, and we contacted them, and it was actually a very simple process. Mm -hmm. We had the proof in hand. What kind of recommendations do you give people who feel like they may have been drifted upon? Is it to immediately contact the Department of Agriculture? Is it to photograph the damage that you've witnessed? What is the proper course of action? You need to contact, like in Illinois, the Department of Ag as soon as you suspect that there was drift. And there is a time limit in Illinois, and I imagine there are time limits in other states. Ours is 30 days from the time that you witness the incident or from the time that you notice damage. Now, first thing people have to remember is that you won't always see damage. Okay, you can have pesticide drift even with an herbicide that is a non-lethal level. So in our first violation that we got, it was on apple trees. The apple trees never showed any damage. When the lab test came back after testing the leaves on the trees, the level of glyphosate on the apple trees exceeded the allowable limits for conventional apples, yet they showed no damage, meaning those apples were not fit to eat. Okay, so that's really important. You contact your agency, you file the complaint, and then the inspector will come out 
And it's important that you insist to the person that comes out to take some sort of lab sample because if you don't see apparent damage, either from the herbicide or an insecticide or a fungicide, the only way you're going to know for sure that it drifted is to have that, they call it a tissue sample, have uh, its leaves or branches or grass, and that will tell them for sure whether there was drift or not. And, and you have every right to have that done. And in Illinois, it doesn't cost us anything to do that. You know, they are there for us. They are there to protect us. So you didn't notice any damage on the apples. What made you test them? Brian smelled the chemical. I see. And we had got to the point where we did not trust what we were being told. We felt in our guts it can't be right. We're smelling it. It's got to be drifting. And that's another important take-home point today to people who are fearing that they're being drifted on, you will never be told that it's a problem. It's always not a problem. It's always not going to move. That's what you're going to be told when you talk to anyone who is going to benefit from the application of those pesticides. They are not going to tell you it's a problem. We've heard it all. You know, we've heard we are using big droplets, we have anti-drift in our tank. We've heard all of it, but it's it's just simply not true. And if you aren't willing to be outside during that application, if you feel you need to get your kids inside and shut your windows, you better be suspecting drift. And I encourage anyone in that position to seek out the agency who enforces the rules against drift. Mm-hmm. Listeners, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Anita Popel. She and her husband, Brian, own and operate Broad Branch Farm in Wyoming, Illinois. I met Anita and her wonderful family at an organic farming conference in La Crosse, Wisconsin. It's headed up by the Midwestern Organic and Sustainable Education Service, and there was a special session on pesticide drift. And after I heard Anita's story and many of the stories of the farmers in this session, I learned that this is a really important issue that we as a a country should be addressing to protect our children's health. And then Anita started an organization with another farmer friend called Spray Drift Education Network. It's The website, I should let everyone know, is www.spraydriftillinois.com. And what it is is a grassroots organization dedicated to helping Illinois citizens report and prevent pesticide drift. However, Anita, and you can fill in the details here, but I suspect that most, if not all, of what you're saying would apply to anyone living in any state where they're exposed to pesticide drift. Is that correct? That's correct. And, you know, I can speak to drift as a grower, as a grower who, as a food farmer, who grows food without chemicals. But this this applies to homeowners. It applies to playgrounds. It applies to somebody who is driving down the road, which happened to us, and someone is spraying in conditions where the pesticides could be moving across the road. And 
you don't have to even be on your own property to stand up to drift. Hmm. This affects anyone who, like I said, lives, works, or plays in proximity to fields that are sprayed. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you've been treated with respect? I'm assuming now you've become a common name at the Illinois Department of Agriculture. You're calling and you're reporting multiple drift incidences now. Are people getting to know you, and do you feel like you have a supportive environment, or do you feel like you've been met with some hostility? We've definitely been met with hostility. Of course, there are always people like yourself that we meet that support and understand where we're coming from, but we are living and working in a conventional agriculture state. This system of agriculture has been establishing itself for the last 60 years. They are not used to people saying, please don't spray today. We are fearful of drift today. Can you please not spray today? And that is, I think, the typical response is that um, we are, well, we've been called troublemakers. We've been asked to leave. These are from people who have known me all my life, and it is pretty crazy to think that we're simply trying to grow food without chemicals, and that is a very controversial thing in this area. Hmm. I want to put it in the perspective that people can really understand, because I know that there's a lot of people that defend farmers. Remember that my folks were farmers, so I understand But it's no different than somebody coming onto your property and saying, I don't like the color of your house. So they paint your house a different color. That would be crazy. That would make the newspaper. Or if someone decided they don't like dandelions in your yard or pink flowers, and they come in and they cut all your pink flowers down simply because they don't like them. We're asking that we do not have chemicals trespass on our property plain and simple, but the chemicals are, they don't have color and sometimes no odor, and you can't see them, so it's really hard to point the finger. That's what's so crazy about it, is that you can have the drift of substances that are detrimental to our health, yet there's a serious lack of enforcement. Right. Well, and your customers are specifically seeking you out because of the way you produce your food. You know, we've got so much good evidence on the public health side. We've got data showing that children are more vulnerable to exposure to these chemicals. They're at greater risk for cancers and hyperactivity and autism and all kinds of autoimmune diseases as related to their exposure to these harmful chemicals. And yet we've got this powerful chemical industry saying, hey, we've got to feed the world, these chemicals are fine, don't worry about it. And we should let our listeners know that you live in the heart of corn and soybean country. The majority, well over 90% of those crops, are being sprayed right now with Roundup or glyphosate. And coming this spring, we're going to have yet another assault of a tank mix of both the Roundup or the glyphosate plus 2,4-D, which was one of the two major components of Agent Orange. If I was in your shoes, Anita, I would be frightened for my family's health. 
we definitely are. You know, this is the, the problem already exists. We have to defend our farm. We're getting to the point in the season here where Brian and I cannot both be gone if there is a risk of people spraying. And I mean that seriously. We both cannot be gone because we can't trust when a rig's going to show up and drift on us. Now, those things we can address, but when it comes directly, the rig operator, but this new chemicals, GMO crops that are coming out, those are, um, the 2,4-D is something that can volatize and travel for miles, leaving people like us who are food farmers trying to be chemical-free, maybe with no recourse if we don't know where the chemical came from. Keep in mind, while that chemical is possibly volatizing and floating through the air, how many things is it affecting before it possibly gets to our farm? A child who's riding their bicycle, kids that are in a swimming pool. This is invisible, odorless stuff. And the possibilities of damage, not only to our food, but to our health, are real. You know, one of the things that came up during the pesticide drift session that we both attended was, and I don't remember if it was you or one of the other farmers in the room who said it, but trying to put ourselves in the shoes of the farmers who have been so entrenched in this system. So they meet their fellow farmers at the coffee shop, and everybody's using the same corn and soy seed. It's genetically modified. It's engineered basically to withstand the spraying of these chemicals. Did they have a way out of this system? Well, that's a good that's a good question, and I'm, you know, it's tough to be on to do what we do and to defend our property, but it's got to be harder to be in a farmer's shoes and trapped in that cycle, possibly in debt. You know, it's it can't feel good for us. There is no other way for us to produce food. We will never apply pesticides because we feel it is so important. We look at it as food and not just our the way that we earn money. I think sometimes the conventional farmers look at what they produce as a commodity. I remember we heard a speaker who said, once a farmer starts growing organic corn, they no longer get in the bin with their muddy boots or the boots that they've just done chores with the manure on it. Now they look at that grain as food rather than just the commodity that you move from bin to truck to barge. Once you start growing organic grain that's intended for human consumption, it changes everything. So mm-hmm. I don't know the I don't know the way out. I think it has to start though in they have to decide that personally there is a better way. Yeah. And there's certainly plenty of resources out there right now that can help farmers transition from a system that's dependent on chemicals to one that is not. And it's well known that you can't just go from conventional to no chemical just overnight. It's a process. It takes soil building. It takes education. So if a farmer is going to go down that road, it is going to be an effort. Right. You know, it's interesting. The farmers that I've met who have transitioned from 
growing commodity crops and growing crops with chemicals, when you ask them, well, why did you make the switch? So many of them say, I got tired of having to change my clothes before I went to hug my kids. Or I started noticing that so many people on my county road were developing cancer. And it's true if you go and look at the President's Cancer Panel report, and this was published back in 2010, that it was clear that, you know, the recommendations were don't consume food that's been grown with pesticides and herbicides and these chemical fertilizers if you want to reduce your risk. And also that farmers and their children were at greater risk from these chemicals. So I so understand this dilemma that farmers are in right now. I will say that the Moses Organic Farming Conference that we attended is a great place for farmers to start seeking their way out. And I'll provide the website for both your organization and also mosesorganic.org for people who want to start exploring that. But let me ask you something with regard to your own business. You're an agricultural economist by your education, and so let's talk about supply and demand. Are you finding that there is a growing demand for the kind of food that you're producing? Absolutely. And you wouldn't believe the questions that we get from consumers who have educated themselves through books and documentaries and, and the information that's on the Internet. People are smart about their food. They want to know specifics about how their food is grown. The biggest growth we are seeing is in the meat that we produce. I think one of the things that drives that is people are very concerned about the humane treatment of their of animals, which we do a very good job of of making sure that our animals are treated with respect. So it definitely people want clean food. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And especially people who have young families when we've got these critical developmental points. And I want to add, too, that because you have grass-fed and grass-finished beef, your beef is not like the kind of beef that the dietary guidelines are saying to eat less of. Your right. beef is very high in omega-3 fatty acids, which are protective for heart health and reducing cancer risk. So I want to thank you for growing food that way. We just have a minute left. Do you want to leave our listeners with a charge or some action step? I think it's just important that people realize that you can speak out against pesticide drift. It's really hard, and we have been through the emotions of not wanting to cause trouble, not wanting to cause trouble for your neighbor and possibly friend, but it feels a whole lot better to actually say something than to be in your house with the windows and the doors shut, feeling absolutely sick that you may be getting drifted on by pesticides. I encourage people to access our website, spraydriftillinois.com. Our email is spraydriftillinois at gmail.com and to reach out and give a voice to this problem. Well, Anita, I want to thank you so much for voicing your concerns 
they are broadly shared and they have to come out. We have to start a conversation. Listeners, we've been speaking with Anita Popel. She and her husband, Brian, own and operate Broad Branch Farm in Wyoming, Illinois. And she and a fellow farmer started Spray Drift Education Network. I'll provide the link to that so you can learn more. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hamelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And I want to thank you, Anita, so much for being a voice for so many farmers and mothers who want to protect their land and their families. Thank you, Melinda.